Hello listeners and welcome back to another episode of the Plus Dave podcast. We are the Tottenham Hotspur theme show brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave with me, your host Dags. And this week I'm joined by Socrates and Dave. There's no Elio this week, much like Spurs. We are a little bit off full strength for the time being, but he will be back next week. And they say absence makes the heart grow fonder. You will be treated not just to an Elio return, but Elio hosting as I am jetting off on holiday. So Elio will be taking up the reins next week. So you've got that to look forward to. But before then, we have Sox and Dave, who are about to talk about Spurs' third straight defeat and try and pluck out some positives from what was not a terrible performance by any means, but a lot to get stuck into. We lost 2-1 to Villa at home. I was at the game. These guys watched it or at least watched the highlights, I imagine, in the case of Dave. Guys, welcome back for another recording. Sox, I'm going to start with you. I've got to the point now where I see where you're coming from in that, yeah, it'd be nice if the season was over now. You know, just let's just say what we've learned. Let's apply this the next season and see where it goes. But what were your thoughts on that game? Yeah, yeah. In a weird way, I feel like I've been proven right and wrong at the same time in that I've been proven correct in that the back-to-back-to-back defeats and there will be a fourth and maybe fifth on the way are happening. Proven wrong in the sense that we played a hell of a lot better than I thought we had any right to with the players that yeah. we got missing through injury and suspension. I mean, going into that game, up until an hour before kickoff, I wasn't really looking forward to it. And then I saw the team and I thought, the madman's only gone and done it. <laughs> I mean, there were rumours like Lacelso was starting, Hill was starting, Bentacle was starting, and the answer was it was actually all yeah. three of them. So he managed to get me excited for the game that I was never really that excited about. So in a way, I kind of walked away from that defeat more optimistic than anything else, just because I do think we have a team that is capable of putting in a decent performance, even without any of these injuries. At the same time, the fact that we're probably about to hit, and I know we'll touch on it later, four defeats on the spin is a really difficult thing to stomach, but stomach, we must. I'll put it this way. I've never been so positive after three straight defeats, especially when you yeah. consider that it may well, as you say, be four straight defeats. I'm in a good place, all things considered. Dave, welcome back. I always have to ask you this. Uh, to what extent have you familiarized yourself with the events of Sunday? Have you watched any of the game? Have you watched any of the highlights? Have you seen the goals? What's your state of readiness for this podcast? I've seen all of the goals. I've seen all of the non-goals i Good. am completely Good. prepared for this podcast as per usual because i am a professional a professional podcaster <laughs> who does not get paid uh, yeah. but i'm excited <laughs> i'm excited to talk about football we are reaching december there are seven tottenham games in december there are seven league united oh, games in december i'm excited football let's go Love the Christmas period. This is the energy I want. That's it. They bottle that energy and bring it back every week. Okay. That's what I want. This is exactly it. Fantastic. Well, I'm sorry if I even hinted at doubting your professionalism for a moment there, Dave, because of course I should know better. So I'm going to come back to you on the lineup because you summed it up brilliantly in the group chat. You said we've gone from chips, mash and jacket to ham, bacon and pork chop, <laughs> which is a, a reference to our <laughs> rather stodgy, unimaginative, samey midfield that we saw last time and many times before. And we basically tore up that idea and went with the complete opposite. Absolutely bizarre lineup. We heard some rumblings before the match that there was going to be no dire, but I don't think we expected to see quite what we ended up seeing. Just to remind everyone, we had no centre-backs at all on the pitch. We basically had four full-backs, pretty much two number eights, and then, what, five forwards? And that was our team. It was a pretty gung-ho, avant-garde, all-out attack kind of setup. What were your initial thoughts when you saw that fear excitement <laughs> yeah excitement in a state yeah. of shock i suppose but in hindsight i don't think it's as mental of a team as it seems because betancourt is a six i mean we've been talking about him rotating in for basuma and sar when everybody's fully or starting over one of them when everyone's yeah. fully fit anyway kuliseski elio was talking about him playing at that role as early as the summer and john mckenzie mm-hmm. mentioned it when we had him on as well brian hill plays out on the left which is what he normally does 
and the positionless house occupied, he can play either one of the two weights anyway. So it's not as mental as it sounds because everybody was kind of playing in positions that suited them completely naturally. The defense was weird, but the defense has to be weird because we're missing so many players. So yeah. there wasn't anything there that was even particularly unorthodox. I just think it was more so the shock of seeing all those players, especially the likes of like Hill and the Celso. Hill more so. The Celso, I think we were all expecting to come in. But Hill more so. To see them all kind of start up in one go, I think probably caught us all a bit off guard. But to me, that was almost like Ange looking at the Wolves game and going, never again. That's it. But, you know, I, I did this. I had the stodgy midfield. I learned my lesson. And admit that was almost like a... I don't know if it was an admission of a mistake, but it's almost what it felt like. It's like, okay, yeah. you know, we spoke about when we were reviewing that game of that was maybe him abandoning his principles for the first time where he went overly defensive. And this was him returning to, you know, whether it was, he sees these players in training, right? So maybe in the lead up to the Wolves game, all the other players were playing crap and Hoiberg was the best one in training and that's why he started. But this felt like such a pointed response to, you know, we ain't seeing that team again. That Then the only way we're seeing those three in midfield is if we're truly, truly yeah. forced to. So that's kind of what I said before in terms of it kind of gives you a little bit of excitement and hope beyond this game because for the most part I thought all those players especially Lacelso played really really well and Kudasevsky looked really great in what is his natural position and even Hill had some bright spots when you bear in mind that he's not kicked a ball for us since I think January pretty much because he's been out on loan since yeah. then certainly not started a game since January I was really kind of encouraged by almost all of them so it's nice to know that we're not going to see the Wolves thing again and if we can look a little bit beyond City and you look at the Newcastle home game and the West Ham home games that come up after that you start to think okay if we can play this team against them but with hopefully A no more injuries and be Basuma and Romero both back from suspension, then you're going to have something that we might be able to stop the bleeding after the inevitable City <laughs> defeat. I love how we're just writing off that City game. We're all just accepted. We may as well. What, what is the fucking point? That's exactly the time that we go and nick a one no win though, isn't it? We all know how this works. And then we all get our eyes back <laughs> yeah. up again. Uh, but you're absolutely right. I think it's obviously really exciting as a Spurs fan to see that because on the one hand, just in isolation, it's like, yeah, it's a dare is to do. This is the Tottenham way, all out attack. This is Ange backing up all of his big talk and going for it and all this. But also it shows that he's adaptable, doesn't it? It shows that he looked at the Wolves game and thought, okay, that didn't work. And it's that whole thing of the definition of insanity being trying the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And has, by that definition, at least proven that he's not insane and that he is going to change things quickly. Whereas previous managers were accused of being too stubborn and sticking to their guns and thinking, no, no, this team will work even though they were rubbish in the previous game. So that was nice to see. Dave, how bonkers is that lineup to you? Did you look at that Spurs lineup when we were texting in the group chat and thinking, wow, Ange has lost it? Or do you think it makes sense? Well, my answer is twofold. I don't think it made sense. It didn't make sense when I looked at it. I went, hang on, I'm, I'm struggling to work out who's the midfield. Yeah, you're missing, uh, some you're missing something here, and I think it's important. But at the same time, I was really glad that it happened. Basically parroting everything that you guys have just said in the sense that it's proof that he looks at what happens. He decides on whether that worked or it didn't work. Clearly it didn't work against Wolves. Therefore he reacted. And the reaction was, yeah, the reaction might have been he went from A to Z. But yeah, why not? Why not? Why not try the complete alternative? Maybe, you know, in a year when we've seen a lot of different versions of the midfield, we'll land in the middle, which is the sweet spot and the perfect spot where everybody's fit and he knows exactly who it is and he knows exactly who the first sub is and the second sub is and the third sub is and the fourth sub is. And that's going to be a brilliant place to be. Mm. And, and ultimately, you play with the players that you've got and he's got Hill and he's got Lacelso and he played them and they didn't let you down. Yeah, I think it's easy to look at the match and think, okay, they tried something completely different. It was very aggressive. It was very attacking and we lost. So, you know, maybe he should have gone a little bit more pragmatic. But 
I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I'm curious to see if you think there was a middle ground or you think that he was actually vindicated by our performance in the players that he chose. Would you say the lineup is why we lost that game? Or do you think they actually did what they were supposed to do? I mean, the only alternative, if you wanted to go slightly more defensive, would have been to play Benson Core as one of the eights and not play Lacelso or Kulisevsky and put Hoiberg as the six. But we saw what happened when Hoiberg came on exactly. and it killed yeah. the flow of our game. So the answer, I think, is no, because we don't have at the moment the personnel. I mean, when everybody's fit, what's the midfield? It will be Basuma. Bentoncourt, LaCelso, but we were missing two of those three. The third ended up being injured 30 minutes in, and we didn't even have Papsar to bring off the bench. So I think he picked the best team possible. Obviously, easy to say with the benefit of hindsight. Yeah. But I think he picked the best team possible with the players we had at our disposal. I think we also have to remember that we talk about this being a process and it taking time. That includes Ange. Yeah. Like he's experienced in the sense that he's been managing for 25 years, but like he's allowed to make mistakes, he's allowed to tinker, he's allowed to experiment. This is surely the time to do that when the project is at its lowest ebb, when it's at its lowest risk, and when you have the least to play for. Not three years in where if this has gone as well as I hope it is, we're actually challenging for something decent. I want him to try and mess around with this sort of stuff now. I want him to try and throw yeah. in players that, I mean, how do we know if Brian Hill's any good? We've not seen him. He's been here for two years and we've barely seen the fucking mm. kick a ball. Certainly, Ange can't know if he's any good. He doesn't know what position he's going to play him in or anything like that. So, like, this is the time to kind of throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. And that wasn't this. It wasn't just like a random gung-ho, like, yeah. somebody stumbling into a Chinese buffet drunk or something. It's like, I'm going to have a bit of chicken, a bit of duck, and I'm going to cover it all with, like, mustard and ice cream or whatever. And it's like, it had some purpose to it because everybody was in the right yeah, position. Yeah, the madness. Completely. Yeah. And like I said, I think you saw that with the flow of our performance in the first half an hour. It wasn't as if it was disjointed. We had a plan. We were executing it really well. I guess the one thing I've learned, and it was interesting because Ange said it himself a few weeks ago or a few months ago, was when he said that the weakest part of this team at the moment is he thinks it's the attack. Mm. And we maybe haven't thought that way because we've been looking at it and gone, well, we haven't got a lot of squad def- defensively and we seem to be playing really well. But I think what you're seeing now as the games go on is that we only have one reliable goal scorer in this team and that's Hoongmin Sun. Yeah. The only other one that might hit your double figures is maybe James Madison. He might hit 10 and obviously he's out for a couple of months. And I think that's probably what he's alluding to because Kudusevsky's numbers mm-hmm. have been poor. Johnson has only really just come in and got a goal for himself, fair enough. But if Sun is having an off day, or rather if he's also having a day where we're not really giving him too much to do because he's not touching the ball all that much, there isn't anybody yeah. else that can score for you. There isn't another K and the wingers aren't doing it. So that's the sort of thing I kind of took away most from this game is that we created so many chances and it was a miss after miss after miss after miss and it was the same the first 20 minutes against Chelsea. So I think long term, that is probably the biggest area of concern, but there isn't really anything we can do about it right now. Yeah. There's nothing we can do to sort of expedite that process, especially if the answer to that problem is just to sign more players. That's really interesting because you say people have always been going on about the defence and you don't think about the attack as being necessarily a problem. But then I think that is because, yes, yeah, Son is so clinical that he is effectively two strikers he's scoring at the rate of two players and then the others who you would normally expect to be sources of goals have been doing everything else so well Kudasevsky has been one of the most important players in most of our good performances he's just not really had that end product that final shot you know he hit the post a couple of times he had a few unlucky shots but he's not put the numbers up that he has done in the past and then obviously Johnson's played well but he's not been scoring Richardson when he's played so it is easy to not really notice that we don't have Elio today but I do have virtual Elio to share with you guys because he said he's been kind <laughs> enough he couldn't bear the idea of a week going by without his voice entering the show so he sent us some nice little voice notes with his summary I hope I'm playing the right have one we got, have we got Elio from Wish.com we've got no, no, no it's, it's real Elio it's real Elio it's just like virtual Elio it's like Elio if he's some kind of AI robot but he's going to give us his thoughts now through the magic of WhatsApp voice notes 
On the match, absolutely brilliant performance for us up until shortly before halftime, shortly after Bentoncourt's injury. The football we played, despite not having Madison, despite not having our first-choice centre-back pairing, despite not having Basuma, albeit a depleted recently Basuma and Pat Matsar, was fantastic. We absolutely cut through Aston Villa time and time again, and considering the opposition and the players we had available, and to tell you the truth, not even despite that, but because of Postacoglu, it was our best performance of the season so far, and we didn't get the result we deserved. We should have had Aston Villa absolutely blown away long before they had the chance to equalise. And Benzincourt at the six, well, when fit, he's our first choice number six. And based on Kulusevski down the middle, I'd go as far to say Kulusevski, when fit, and everyone else is available, gets one of the two central slots dovetailing with Madison. I think I've seen the beginnings of something I've long felt was going to happen, which is Kulisevsky down the middle. And I really, really loved it. The late runs he was making beyond Son, the way he was absolutely driving us forward. He's continued his ascension to full Musa Dembele and... I can't wait to see what it looks like when he's had a run there. I don't know if that's going to happen now. He may end up back on the right out of necessity, but it really was a sight to behold. And obviously playing with Lo and dovetailing with him, who himself had a really good game, obviously, it just made it all the more impressive because it was a completely brand new midfield. God, he goes on. He bloody goes on, doesn't he? Well, I was about to say, Dave, because it's Elio, that's only half of that little oh, summary, God. so there's more. But I'm going to break it up. I'm going to break it up and stop to discuss the points. First of all, of all the things we could have not predicted about this game and about Spurs, the one thing that we could have banked on is that Elio would have been a fan of Kudusevsky in the middle because it brings about his long-prophesized expectation of Kudusevsky playing as number eight or number ten, and I guess it's as good a time as any to talk about that. Now, Sox, first of all, what do you think of Kudusevsky's performance in that role? But also, do you agree with that when Madison's fit and everyone's back and we've got our full strength team, could you see both of them fitting into the same midfield? Or is that a bit too gung-ho? On the first one, was his performance good? Yeah, it was excellent. I mean, it's important to remember when we signed him, that's what he was. Yeah. For Juventus, yeah. He, he was primarily an eight or a 10. So this isn't some, I know Elio and a few others have been mentioning it for a few months, but the only reason he's been playing out on the right for us was because the system that Conte deployed didn't really have traditional eights or tens. You had that double pivot of Bentacore and Hoiberg. Yeah. It was like having sort of two box-to-box type of players in there. I think Conte saw him as a 10 as well. Like Conte used to talk about the forwards as being number 10. A 10 really. the wing, maybe. Yeah, like, so yeah. he played more centrally than perhaps he would in this system. Yes, but he wasn't sort of like a James Madison. He wasn't a Christian yeah. Eriksen. He wasn't like a dictator of the play from the centre of the park. And obviously this season, he's been playing on the right out of necessity, which is something we've discussed because the only other player that we can come in and sort of do that, I suppose, is Johnson. Yeah. But then... At the moment, we don't have any other options on the left because they're all bloody injured. Perisic, Solomon, and even Richarlison. So at the moment, it's a team that's kind of like a... We've got all the right pieces of the jigsaw, but we don't have them all available at the same time. So we can't ever kind of fully complete the puzzle. So I think him coming to play as an eight or a 10 is not an ascension. It's a return. And it's a return to what he always has been. It's just something that we haven't seen at Tottenham. In terms of him potentially playing with Madison, I mean, I, I don't really know. I quite like that other central midfielder personally to be a bit more industrious and to be slightly more box to box. Personally, I think Benson Core should play one of the other roles. I think Basuma should be the deep, everybody fit. It's Basuma, Benson Core. Madison more than likely but we're talking about it look the idea is that we break back into Europe for next season and when we constantly compare ourselves to sort of other clubs and it's the other clubs that set the standards when City are looking on their lineup they're not like 
oh crap, we've got to choose between Bernardo Silva, Foden, Grealish, De Bruyne, whatever. They look at it and go, well, this is just the quality of squad you need and some will play some games and some will play sort of in the others. Yeah. That's the kind of level we need to aspire to. The idea that we can have both Madison and Kulusevski and we don't have to force them to play them together. They can just occupy one position. Mm. If we're going to be playing Thursday, Sunday, or maybe even Wednesday, Sunday, but more than likely Thursday next season, then the idea that we can have two excellent players in the same position is probably how I'm looking at it. I'm not so obsessed with them playing together. I just like the idea of, okay, we lose Madison for two months. Kulisesk can come in and fill his role and we're not anywhere near in the same state of panic as we are now. Yeah. So I think that for me is is probably the kind of biggest takeaway from it. And I think that's where we will get to. Again, it all feels very next season, next season, <laughs> yeah. next season. But I, I think that's when it will I be. I don't mean, I think we've all been pushed into this idea of thinking constantly, being obsessed with our first 11, thinking what's our best 11, what's our best team. Whereas exactly. Man City probably don't think that. Man City probably don't know. You know, there are a couple of players that are, you know, first names on the team sheet that you're always going to work in. Of course, but yeah. There are so many different combinations that you don't necessarily know. And I think that's the aim, isn't it? That's what we want to be. It's easy to forget that Basuma was brilliant for the first three, four games of the season. Yeah, he's dropped off a little bit, but let's not write him off just yet. If he comes back and he's as good as he has been, then absolutely him in a six and Bentancur in a more box-to-box role could be interesting. So let's see. And speaking of Bentancur, I think you said it, Sox, and a lot of people have said it. I've got a little bit more familiar on the subject, as will be no surprise. The game kind of changed when he went off. <laughs> In general, we'll talk about the persistent fouling and Matty Cash will enter the fray at some points as well. But Benzico went off and we didn't quite look the same. You mentioned earlier, Hoiberg coming on wasn't quite the same team. Dave, I want to ask you about Rodrigo Benzico because obviously as a massive Uruguay fan these days, you've got a good glimpse of him recently. The role he's playing there might be slightly different, but we've seen him play for Spurs as an eight very successfully or as a kind of central midfielder in a two. We've seen him play as a six now for some of that game. He was very good there. Where do you think he serves Spurs? Spurs best and what do you think of him at the base of him in the field how do you like the idea of him playing as a six more regularly well I'm paraphrasing the great man but I'm pretty sure earlier yeah. in this month Marcelo Bielsa mentioned that he had the ability to play anywhere in that midfield and I think that's probably yeah. a answer in itself and the only answer that I need you know when God speaks you don't question it so he's he's got the ability <laughs> to play in every position in that midfield what the best one is for you guys I think it's probably the answer is the one that you need the most at the time because you are currently playing with yeah. you know injuries suspensions and what have you so if he's fit you play him in the position where you've got the gap and then when you've got a yeah. fully fit squad and a fully non-suspended squad then you've got a wonderful headache where you've got a player who can play in all of those positions and you pick the yeah. right one for the right time and you know a Basuma Bentancourt Madison middle three sounds pretty tasty absolutely so basically we play on his versatility and we just exactly. we, we figure exactly. out what other positions need to be filled first and then put him in I suppose that way you can change in the middle of a game as well can't you if it's not quite working you can tweak you can switch him around with you know someone like Saar or Basuma or, or Poiberg or whoever let me play you Elio's thoughts on this because this is part two of his match summary which is pretty much from the point Benson Cole went oh, on God, so, right, back, back to virtual Elio Unfortunately, once Bentoncourt did get injured, we lost a lot of our ability to begin controlling play from deep. And we really did start falling into Aston Villa's traps. We were trying to do the exact same things, but we didn't have the player in the team capable of orchestrating it from deep. So what happens? You end up losing the ball and then giving a silly free kick away in reaction right before half time. Once we conceded that goal, the second half was always going to be very difficult. And so it told with what was a very, very good finish from Watkins, but unfortunately a sucker punch that we probably didn't deserve to receive on the overall balance of play. What I would say also is centre-backs, Emerson Davies, 
don't think they did particularly anything wrong the way they lost their men on a couple of set pieces and a couple of crosses in behind. Well, brand new centre-back pairing, first time together, both career fullbacks is to be expected. But in terms of ball on the ground, I don't actually remember Aston Villa breaching us in any way, shape or form during the match, apart from the offside goal. And I think that's testament to how well they did in really difficult circumstances. So there you go. That's part two of Elio's match report. A um, few things to go over there. So first of all, I think he's agreeing with you that Benzica was very good and important and the game changed when he came off. I think we can all agree with that. He raised a couple of the players that were new to the lineup and we'll get into them. I, I want to hear your thoughts on some of the specifics. But I think in terms of that being a turning point and being a big part of why we lost the game, so to what degree is that true? Do you think if Benzica stayed on for the rest of that match, you'd have made us favourites to win that game? If I ask you the question, where did Spurs lose that game? What was it that gave Villa the edge? I imagine there's probably a few answers to that, but how would you summarise it? It's obviously a huge loss because you've already lost Basuma, Saar, Madison. So a Bentacore injury in isolation is something we can live with, but not in the context of already not having sort of three or four other players out. But at the same time, thinking about it, should it have legislated for that much of a drop-off? Like almost everybody looked bad. And there's part of me that thinks, was this psychological wind of our sails a little bit? And there is a large part of me that thinks a lot of it was mental. Because even if okay, Hoiberg slows down the play. He can't play on the half turn. That does put additional pressure on the defence. It does put additional pressure on the midfield, etc., etc. That's significant. But for one player to make that much of an impact and that much of a drop-off... I mean, we've played games with Hoiberg starting this season when there's been obviously no Basuma and no Bentancourt. I think Fulham was one. I think he came on for half an hour against Palace and we looked better than what we did before. So I can't blame it on on Hoiberg. It just seems way too harsh. Mm. I think we had the wind knocked out of our sails. I don't think it helped that we had the Ollie Watkins VAR decision that took about 400 years on the other side of it because it really kind of killed any sort of momentum. And I don't think we were able to kind of psychologically pick ourselves up. I don't know. It's just conjecture. I'm just kind of guessing. Yeah. But it didn't feel like it legislated for that much of a drop-off because in the second half, it just looked like we ran out of ideas. It wasn't as if we were trying to do... I mean, not that we didn't create chances, we did, but it's not as if we were trying to do the same things and not being able to execute them. We just weren't able to sort of play or run in the same way. And I think we expended so much energy those first sort of 20 or 30 minutes. I can remember Brennan Johnson trying to sprint for a ball 80 minutes in and it looked like he was running through treacle. So I think there were probably loads of different kind of factors at play like I said, obviously to lose someone of his quality, I think it's impossible for it not to have an impact. But I think it was interesting. Kuliseski came up with some quotes. We're recording on the Monday today, basically saying that he thought we lost it mentally. And those were his words. Mm. So I think that kind of backs me up a little bit. Maybe that had nothing to do with the Bentacle injury. It was coincidental. We just kind of let our heads slip a little bit. But I think the psychological aspect of our game is very clearly something that needs to be worked on, which is fine. Again, we talk about project and processes and it's uh, I bore myself every time I mention it, but I keep mentioning it because it's the truth and it, it bears yeah. thing. The mental side of the game is another thing and it's just it's one of those things where it's um you can tell when a player's improved because you can look at their stats and see how many more goals they've scored or something compared to last season. It's really difficult to tell when a player has mentally improved compared to three mm. months ago, six months ago, but that is something that clearly needs to change as well. So I think yeah. the only final thing to say about Benzacore is you've got to hope that it's nothing more than hopefully a bruise or a very mild twist or anything like that. If we miss him for two or three weeks and nothing more then it will be okay that's kind of the takeaway from that and thank the lord it wasn't his knee again because i think the initial contact looked like it was so hopefully it's just a very mild ankle thing but we'll see yeah let's hope that we finally get a little bit of luck in the injury department and it's only a small one and he's back soon because lord knows we need a little bit of, of a good turnout from one of these injury outcomes so yeah a few things there i think 
for me, I agree with everything you've just said. Absolutely. I think I agree with Kulisevsky in that it seemed mentally that there was something just missing in the business end of the pitch. I think there were a lot of times, especially in the first 20 minutes, there were so many chances we could have had the game wrapped up by about 20 minutes in. We had so many chances, including, of course, a great one for Kulisevsky himself, who hit the post. There were so many times where we were in the final thirds, looking dangerous. You know, it wasn't like Sheffield United or Liverpool after they got their red cards where it was everyone packed in the box and we couldn't break them down. They were chances. We were matched man for man, more or less, and we, we could have done something. But the decision-making just seemed to be off for me a little bit. And I think it was a clear contrast between Villa being clinical, Ollie Watkins in particular being clinical with his chance and the one that was very narrowly offside. And our players just kind of not backing themselves almost when they had chances to either make a killer pass or have a shot. And it seemed like every time it was a choice between pass or shoot, our players made the wrong decision. I don't know if you got that impression as well. Yeah, to an extent, yeah. I mean, I guess that's probably part of the psychological aspect coming of it into play and just rustiness. I mean, we've played, I think, a completely different midfield for the third or fourth game in a row. So you're going to have players that are completely unfamiliar with each other. I mean, effectively, what you've just described is patterns of play. It's not just the fundamentals of coaching and understanding the tactical side of things. It's you've played with a player so long that you don't even need to look up because you know instinctively he's going to be at the back post because you played with him for three years. Brian Hill has no idea where Son is going to be because he's never really played with him. Brennan Johnson's only been here about five minutes. Like all these sorts of things are going to add up and have a bit of an impact. But look, the weird reality of all this is that we're going into some like unnecessary forensic analysis because we score three or four in any other day and we're here talking about thrashing a really good team. So there's sometimes yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about this and midway I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, you're just chatting shit here because we bad this. <laughs> Forget everything, you know, disregard everything I just yeah. said. I'm just trying to fill time to make this entertaining and it's shit. Yeah, we, yeah, we just bat- summarize we, it that way. We battered them in the first 20 minutes. Yeah. We battered them in the first 20 minutes. We should have absolutely killed them. We should have been out of sight. If we didn't self-destruct You're against right. Chelsea, it was the same thing. We're picking it apart and maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't be. But look, we are going to be fucking awesome when this all clicks. I have zero doubt in my mind. When everybody's fit, mm. when you have more coaching, when we sign more players, when you don't have this level of an injury crisis. And I know people say everybody gets injuries and everybody does get injuries. But yeah, th- there's, not there, this come, many. there comes a point after like the fourth or the fifth one to a senior player where you're like, all right, we're kind of drawing a metaphorical line in the sand here. Like this is too much. And it would be the same with Newcastle this season, Chelsea, Man United. It's not just yeah. us. But yeah. when everything clicks, we will be fine. It's just so fucking annoying right now because it, it's what I said a couple of weeks ago. It's like you can smell it. You know it's there. And it, it's every game with us now seems to be on this knife edge where it's like, if only this hadn't happened, if only that hadn't happened, you can tell we've got the capacity and the capability. But we're better than all these teams, man. Villa fucking suck. I, I don't understand this. <laughs> <very hard at all. laughs> this is it. Honestly, man. We, I, as far as I'm every concerned. Every other team in this league, they're all shit. I've had enough of all of them. Thank you and good day. It's like Elio, never left. Um, yeah. <laughs> Come back to the, cha- Come to the championship, mate. It's great fun. <laughs> oh, God. It feels, it feels like we're in the championship with the inconsistency of results and how many fixtures we've got. But anyway. God, I'm so angry. I'm so fucking... I've, I've been trying to hold it together the last 20 minutes. I'm angry about that. <laughs> yeah. You should have won this. I've noticed. Season. I've noticed. I'm pissed off. We've, we've obviously done a winter soldier activation on you now. I didn't know <laughs> oh, what the God. words were, but, but clearly it's like it's like you just you just embrace uh, the spirit of Elio when he's not here and just, just stop it down. Um, um, I was going to say, I think I would summarize that match as Ange Postacoglu coached a win. And I've got mixed feelings about that yeah. expression, but it was, it was, he was vindicated. He put the right players. We played the right way that if we played that game another 10 times, I think we're winning a lot more than we lose and we're winning comfortably. Dave, would you have anything to say on that? Would you agree? Well, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I mean, <laughs> we all know the drawbacks of expecting goals. 
we all know mm. that it doesn't always pan out the way that you want it to. You can say that now Elio's not here. Yeah, Elio, Elio can go away with his Neanderthal perspective of if, this. If I can interject ever so slightly, Elio called me on the drive home after the game, and Elio will confirm mm. this himself. I'm not paraphrasing. He said to me, can you tell me what the XG was? And I had <laughs> to take it. <laughs> I, I genuinely, I said the words to him, who are you and what have you done with Elio? He asked me for, I think, the corner stats. He asked me for big chances created. So, Elio, if you're listening, it's I'm not putting words in your mouth. You can confirm. Sorry, Dave. There you go. Us. I mean, even <laughs> even even the great man himself. Just to clarify, I know he's dead, but I'm sure that AI will solve this. <laughs> Next time Elio puts anything on some kind of WhatsApp message to us to play, can we get Gilbert Gottfried hmm. or an equivalent of that voice to kind of give that <laughs> his actual words? Because I feel like <laughs> It needs some comedy element, a little bit crazy. Not sure technology's come that far yet, Dave. <laughs> anyway, uh, going back to what we're actually talking about, which is football. So the XG yeah. was 2.34 for Tottenham, 1.86 for Villa. And I have to believe in XG because the XG for the Everton-Manchester United game, did anybody see that? Where Manchester United won 3-0. The XG was 2.5 to Everton, 2.2 to Manchester United. So I have to believe that Tottenham are doing the right things and 9 out of 10 of those games they're going to win because I have to believe that Manchester United are terrible. And to concede 2.5 against Everton is abysmal. But the fact they won 3-0 is a flash in the pan. And therefore, you're welcome, Tottenham fans. The fact that you guys got beat by at home by Villa is a flash in the pan. <laughs> And you will come back brighter, as my friends from Reef very well said. I love it, Dave. All you need is the slightest window at any <laughs> angle. You're like Son, you know, you only need a 0.04 XG chance to slip it in the bottom corner when it comes to talking about Leeds or shitting on Man United. You're brilliant at it. It's, it's a skill and I, I admire it. It's an, it's an, XP, it's an XP for ex- expected positiveness and an XL for expected <laughs> Leeds references. You took the words right in my mouth. <laughs> exactly. Well, not only did we win in rather large inverted commas on the XG, our expected threats, which don't ask me to explain exactly what it is, but it sounds good, was uh, higher I than I feel theirs. like you've just oh, gone too far. Higher. No, no, I'm going to get started, Dave. We had we had significantly more possession, which we all know equates to winning football games unless you're playing Jose Mourinho. And our field tilt, there it is, was 66.7% to their 33.3. So we dominated the field tilt. So have some of that, Villa. You enjoy your three points. We won on the field tilt. Uh, but jokes aside, we were the better team, I think. I don't think that's in too much dispute. We definitely looked like we created a lot more chances. We probably should have won. And on another day, I think we, we would have won. It's just a, a case of not taking our chances. But... Like you say so. It doesn't really matter because eventually we're going to start taking these chances. The players are going to learn how to play together. It'll click. We've seen this a few times now. We saw this against Chelsea. We saw this against uh, Luton, if you remember. Should have been about 8 0 by half time. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and then we made it difficult for ourselves. Um, this was a bit like that, except Villa are not Luton. Villa are going to score the half chances we give them. So I think that was the only difference. But yeah, it's, it's all pointing in the right way. And as I said earlier, I can't remember being this enthusiastic about a loss for a while or even <laughs> a sequence of losses. I don't want to move on just yet from the game because obviously there's quite a lot more to talk about. A few things that we haven't talked about the specific goals, but I guess there's not too much to say about them. Other than that the first of Son's hat-trick of disallowed goals, not for the first time this season, was a beautiful move and probably the best piece of football in the whole game for me. And uh, just like against Chelsea, a goal that would have seen us go 2-0 up was disallowed and it was uh, a robbery from football, wasn't it, Dave? No, it was offside. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Move on. Get over it. That's can what you, I, have, I, I have absolutely no issue. The, this finger rule. I haven't, I haven't read too much into it. I've only heard the top level highlights. But 
If it's offside, it's offside. Yeah. I haven't really got a problem with VAR saying it's offside or it's not offside. There's only one thing for offside. It's, yeah. it's, it's, there's a line. There is a line, and that line is the last <laughs> defender. And if a part of someone's body that could score a goal is ahead of that, then that's offside. It's fine. It's fine. I don't think that's the thing. It's the entire rest of VAR I have a problem with. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, to its credit, all of the results were correct, at least in terms of the offsides. Which is, I, which I can't is, which is what offside. we should be using VAR for, because it's clearly yeah, working. Exactly, it was. If it's offside, it's offside. It took longer than it should, but it, it did what it needed to do, and it worked. Yeah, there were offsides. I mean, their goal, Watkins' header, was the only one that was really close. It was the only one that you'd be a bit funny about if it was given against you, but still, I don't think we can blame the officials for that one. The only point at which I would bring the officials in, the referee in particular, is... I think, not for the first time, I saw a pattern of persistent, almost systematic fouling of our players. And I don't know if this is just me being the biased Spurs fan saying, oh, the referees are out to get us and everyone's fouling us and ignoring that we probably committed a fair few fouls as well. But we've seen this with the Chelsea game where James Madison was just getting kicked by almost like alternate players, one after the other, like it was a plan. We definitely saw it in the Wolves game as well. And we saw it again on Sunday, a lot of fouls. And obviously it resulted in an injury. Not for the first time we've had a run in with Matty Cash, but not just a single amount just yet. We'll leave that to Elio in a moment. Am I being unfair to say that there was a lot of fouling and it really disrupted the flow of our play and the ref should have maybe done more? I don't think it's like a, an agenda or a target thing against Tottenham because if you look at, say, if you watch Arsenal, I'm not sure why you would, but if you wanted to watch them on a regular basis, Saka yeah. and Martinelli get lumps kicked out of them. I mean, Eden Hazard had mm. a career basically dead at 29. Uh, Neymar recently as well. <laughs> Neymar. But, I mean, it, Occam's yeah. razor, right? Like the players that are more diminutive, skillful, good at dribbling, quicker off the mark, more likely to get the crap kicked out of them, more likely to pick up injuries. I think Villa are an aggressive team and we don't watch them. I mean, I, I haven't seen a Villa game all season apart from the first game where they got killed at Newcastle. So I've got no idea if they've been doing yeah. this week in, week out. I saw them against us. I saw them kick lumps out of us and I saw Pentacle get injured. And that's all I know. I don't think there's anything because they're picking on little old Tottenham. I mean, Madison got kicked relentlessly, not just by Chelsea, but in every other game. I don't think every team is coming at Tottenham yeah. and going, yeah. we're going to kick the crap out of you. It's when you have a player that's excellent at dribbling and is very quick off the mark, he's just more likely to get kicked. And that's why these players get injured very often. I think the problem with these sorts of fouls is that individually, they're not really yellow or red cards because they're just sort of innocuous sorts of challenges. They're not reckless. They're not... Re- Even the cash roll, which problem. I know... Well, they let them go on. Well, and there's no persistent fouling at play. Surely, eventually, there has to be a yellow. At, at that point, you need to start giving cumulative yellow cards because what will often happen is it'll be about mm. four different players doing four different tackles on the same guy. So it's like the fourth guy who may have made his first yeah. foul is the guy that will have to be booked for the fouls of the other guy. Mm. And I don't want to start getting into referees and all that nonsense, but I have no idea how, how you would write that in a rule book. You would just have to leave it to the referee to apply common sense, which is the last thing you want to do because they're all thick <laughs> as pig shit. I don't want that, you know, I don't think we can trust them to apply common sense in anything. So I think that is, it's not a thing that specifically happens to us. It's a thing that happens to a very specific type of player. The reality is, is that if we had won that game and Bentacle hadn't been injured, we would not be speaking about it at all. We're only speaking about it because we're pissed off at the outcome. Yeah, because we need excuses. Yeah, well, exactly. N- not yeah. even just an excuse. We're just annoyed that we didn't win the game and Bentacle got injured. Yeah. Basically, that's what's happened. If we'd done our job and we'd won the game, I don't really think we'd be mentioning it. I've got no idea how you ref it. And look, I think the the response is, if you can't beat them, join them. I don't want to... It's like yeah. diving, right? Like every football fan would say, I don't want my players to dive or cheat. But if everybody else is going to do it, yeah, so exactly. If everybody yeah. else is going to kick lumps, I hope we smash the shit out of every team we play because I don't want us to be the only idiots to <laughs> win the moral victory trophy by trying to be pure. So, every, you know, I've seen people online today go, oh, well, Spurs have Romero. How can they play with Matty Cash? All right, good. If, if this is, yeah, exactly. if this is yeah. a playground, good. I hope he goes in harder next time as well. The, the issue you've got is that, and I suppose what's happened with someone like Villa is that 
I don't think there are teams that have reputations, but I do think there are players that have reputations. Like I, I honestly think if Romero made the challenge that Cash made, I think he would have yeah, been way more. Up. I don't know if he would have seen a red, but I definitely think he would have been way more likely to have seen a red because I don't yeah. think it was a red card challenge for what it's worth. I think it was reckless and stupid. No, I agree. But I, I think that's kind of the issue with that sort of thing. But what can you do, man? I mean, it's I blame us more for not winning the game than I do any referee or even Matt Cash. But I have no idea how you yeah. solve a problem of these sort of little sort of niggling, nibbly sorts of fouls that will eventually tear mm. a player's ankle in two. I've got no idea. Well, I almost feel bad for bringing it up because let's be honest, there are a few things in football more tedious than complaining about referee decisions over and over again, especially when it comes to VAR. So uh, what I'll do is I will hand it over to Elio to wrap things up because I think if there's one thing we can all agree on is that nobody here likes Matty Cash at the moment because he is a, a nasty little individual, isn't he? So uh, I'll let Elio take it away. I have heard this and it's it's actually a little bit more uh, reserved than you might expect, but this is what he had to say. Matty Cash, I said the exact same thing in our recording after the last time you crocked one of our players. You are a complete and utter coward of a footballer, and that was a coward's challenge. You have absolutely no place on a Premier League football pitch, and I really, I really never wish injury on a player. But when you do get one, you're going <laughs> to fucking deserve it. You absolute dickhead. I, I think he held back. I don't that know. Was I was, yeah, he was only getting warmed up. <laughs> no, no, that was that genuinely was it. That's all. That's what he had to say. Yeah, he held, he held back anyway. I think. Yeah, in summary, I think there's a lot of positives to take out of that. We definitely had some nice moments in the game, and I think on another day we would have beaten them. And it's all pointing to the right direction when we look at our glorious next season that we're all so excited about. But uh, before we go and talk about our next match of this season, because unfortunately, Sox, we do still have several games until 24-25. This game was in the backdrop of some sad news as we learned on the morning of the game that the wider Tottenham and uh, footballing family lost Terry Venables, who passed away at the age of 80, who was, of course, uh, Spurs legend, ex-player, ex-manager, trophy winner, and not only part of Spurs, history but part of Lee's history as well of course as some listeners might not know or might not remember so uh, ironically Dave you're probably the only one of us who actually remembers Terry Venables being uh, your manager because uh, we're all a little bit too young to remember him being in charge of Spurs for me he first came to my notice as England manager in Euro 96 but what can you say about Terry Venables? Yeah I mean Terry Venables had the rug pulled under him to be honest when he was at Leeds. So was it 2002 or something? Yeah was it? It, was, it, was, it was after O'Leary and it was before the real rot set in and we ultimately got relegated and there was still a kind of a vague hope that we weren't going to implode and I do remember that we had to sell some people and yeah. the problem was that we didn't realise how many people we had to sell and I think Ridsdale said to Venables we've got to sell Rio but don't worry, that means we don't have to sell Boya, Kewl, or Woodgate. And, mm. and obviously, they were all sold. There were actually, during during that time, there were shoots of promise and there were some positive results. But ultimately, Venables wasn't in a position where he could do anything about it. And it ultimately ended acrimoniously. But to be honest, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd fast rewind. And if I'm talking about Terry Venables, I'm talking about Euro 96 because it was... Just, I'm going to absolutely copy another podcast here, but okay. the Quickly Kevin Willie Score podcast, they did a special on England during the 90s. And I think it was Tom Crane who said, every time I see a sunset in a beer garden during the summer in England, I look at it and I think of Euro 96 because that is mm. exactly what it was. It was like perfect moment in time where you could watch football. Yeah. It was in England 
It was super exciting, and the England team was a team you really could be proud of. And to be honest, it's just a shame that it didn't last a bit longer because I would have loved to have seen a bit more Terry Venables. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, you know, Glenn Hoddle did a good job after that, uh, just to pander to mm. the Spurs fans as well. But, um, <laughs> but I was ready for more Venables at the helm of yeah. England, and he, he he really did deliver in that tournament. And, you know, what, what for, you know, Gazza wearing a size 12 instead of a size 8 or whatever it was, we, we, we'd have <laughs> Probably been in the uh, in the final. You're talking about beaten, his, his boot size, the, like his dress size, there, Dave. Yeah, indeed, yes. And we'd probably be yeah, in the yeah. Czech Republic. So you know, who knows? Who knows what could have been? But yeah. yeah, from those memories only, an absolute legend. You know, he blooded some youth players in the Leeds team. He gave James Milner his first start. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. he did. So you know, he's definitely he had an eye for talent. He was an absolute, you know, lad, clearly a bling machine. <laughs> he was a testament to English football, basically. Absolutely, yeah. Interestingly, even though I'm not old enough to really remember Venables as the Spurs man, he, in a way, is more responsible for my falling in love with football than just about anyone in a way, because obviously, as you've mentioned there, he was the manager at Euro 96. And for me, as much as I'm a Spurs fan and most of my life has been spent watching Spurs, what really got me into football was probably Euro 96 and that England team around that time. And of course, there were a couple of Spurs players in the mix and it was also around that time where I had a couple of VHS tapes <laughs> this is really really dragging it back now and I had one of them was the 1991 FA Cup semi-final win against Arsenal with Gaza's free kick the 3-1 win with Venables as the manager and we went on to win what has turned out to be our last major trophy so I, I guess that was part of me thinking oh these guys are cool I love Gaza I love Lineker and all this and, and that's what got me into watching football but you're absolutely right you're a 96 and I guess I was I mean I was 10 so that was sort of one of my earliest memories of football, but I wasn't old enough to see what came before it. And I think the impression I get from listening to people slightly older who do remember like Graham Taylor and everything before is that in a way, Venables to England then was very much what Angers to Spurs now. There's a bit of a parallel there in that suddenly this guy comes in. Not only is he like really cool, really chilled, like talks really well and everyone loves him and he's like a dad to all the players and he's not this kind of authoritarian and everything like that. Doesn't shout and scream. He also just played much more attacking football and it wasn't just kind of hit and hope long ball and he gave a chance to a lot of players, including Teddy Sheringham actually who I don't think many people expected to be playing alongside Shearer up front for England so yeah it was almost like England's Ange back in the mid 90s at a time where it was sorely needed I think the key to Venables was he knew how to coach the elite players of the time he knew how to put his arm around them yeah. in, in a similar I, I guess I guess the only thing I would compare what I think happened in Euro 96 because obviously we come off the back of a well, lack of qualification to the 94 World Cup and you know Graham Taylor was a mm excellent manager you know he, he didn't do yeah, at one point but, but it just did not work for him for England yeah. and the only thing I can compare it to is it's almost Mourinho at Real Madrid versus Ancelotti at Real Madrid where Ancelotti just knows how to put his arm around the players and get the best out of the players. Yes, there's a tactical element there, but also there's a man management, which I think, I don't know if it's a lost thing now or, or it's just been repackaged and rebranded as vibes, but <laughs> to be so, able yeah. to put your arm around a player and make them feel like they want to play for you. And, and it speaks volumes mm. about all of the players that have come out since El Tel passed away that... Everybody thought he was a great manager. Every, everybody thought he got the best out of yep. them. Everybody thought he was a real, you know, if anything, a, a pioneer in the way that he approached it. And, you know, the argument could be if there wasn't a Terry Venables, then there wasn't a Kevin Keegan. If there wasn't a Kevin Keegan, then maybe there wasn't Ancelotti. Why don't we just jump to the present day? You know, this could mm. be a thing because, you know, I do not believe 
that managers don't look at the way that other managers work and take things from them because that's what everybody should do if you're good at your job. You know, you can easily just say that football's a different thing, but I just don't think it is. I think it's the same thing. And there is no way that a lot of people, including Johan Cruyff, would have looked at the way that Terry Venables did his thing and took something from it and maybe changed it slightly, went left or went right. But either way... Some of it is from what Terry Venables did. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about the vibes and the whole man management piece and putting an arm around the shoulder and all that. I feel like the England team were in dire need of that at that time as well because I don't know if you remember all the backdrop to Euro 96. There was scandal, wasn't there? The newspapers were like, oh, the England team aren't serious. They're out getting pissed in Hong Kong on their pre-tournament tour and there was the whole dentist chair thing. And I think from everything you hear from players who played in that era and journalists and everything, like he was the perfect guy to navigate them through at a time where the press were just relentless as they were throughout the 90s. I've absolutely no doubt during that period that the FA had a meeting with Terry Venables where they were saying, we've got to sack Gaza from this squad. We've got to sack Sheringham from this squad. Yeah. I've absolutely no doubt that happened, but I would have guessed that Venables would have stood up for him. Yeah. So you wouldn't have remembered Euro 96, right? You're too young for that, I imagine. I would have been four, yeah. And obviously when we last won the FA, <laughs> Probably not then. FA Cup yeah. in 91, it was a year before I was born. So I got... I. I was yeah. I was brought into the world and we stopped winning trophies is the takeaway as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but yeah, it's not I think with Venables he's one of those managers that obviously you just know if you support football like with any player like a Maradona or a Pele, but they never had yeah. a personal impact on you or on me in this instance. So it's not anything I can obviously speak to personally beyond saying that this was, I think you said it, the manager that, depending on how you feel about the League Cup, won us our last major trophy, managing a great team and giving people of that time, my dad and people of his generation anyway, a really great moment. So obviously can only kind of just say that very sad that he's passed and what have yeah. you and um, football's lost another one. Yeah. Thoughts are with everyone closest to Terry Venables and everyone who played under him and was a, a player with him and a huge part of Spurs history and English football history. So uh, obviously very, very sad loss there. We have a little bit of time to talk about the Man City game. I know we've kind of touched on it already in previous podcasts. And on that note, actually, if you are listening and you didn't happen to catch our last episode, we were lucky enough to have Windy from the Extra Inch on as a special guest. And this episode is very much still worth listening to now. It's not like it's immediately obsolete like a lot of us become after a week. It was a more of a general high-level discussion about Spurs so far under Ange and what the future holds. So uh, if you haven't heard that, I urge you to go back and listen to that. We did a little bit of a preview on the gauntlet that lays ahead of us, which of course included that Villa game we talked about already. And the next one, which is Man City. Guys, is this a complete anything as a bonus? Write it off. If we even get a point, we're happy. Is that, is that the way you're going into this game? Pretty much, yeah. I, I, I don't mean it facetiously at all. I only want to come out of the game without any suspensions or injuries. That's honestly the aim for the game because it's what it's been happening about three yeah. or four games in a row now. So if we, can, <laughs> if we can come out with the same first 11 or players who played relatively intact and whatever the role it's just play a youth team let's just, let's <laughs> right. just rest everyone yeah I, I, <laughs> lose 8-0 I'd be interested to see if he changes it up I mean Basuma we've now lost Bentacor but Basuma will be back right so you'd think the most obvious thing to do is to swap mm. them in or out maybe Sar will be fit as well uh, but nobody else comes back Romero won't be back or all the other injuries are long term so I'm curious to see if he likes what he saw from that team or if there's any changes will Hill continue to start LaCelso feels like an obvious one Kudiseski feels like an obvious one So, but there might be a kind of a couple of changes so I, I'm sort of curious mm. to see that but I mean even with a full strength team we'd be going there with a bit more confidence but we wouldn't be absolutely distraught if we went with a full strength team and lost 2-3-1 or something so I think the way we are now it's unfortunate because it's coming off the back of three 
consecutive defeats, right? So, you know, we're all saying it's going to be four and it probably will be. And I think it's going to, it will look a lot worse than it actually is because I don't think of the past three, soon to be four, only one has been a properly poor performance against Wolves, but I don't really, Mm. uh, we're just not good enough, which is fine. I mean, it's, you know, you look at, you see City at home to like Crystal Palace and go, yeah, that'll be a home win. City at home to Everton, yeah, that'll be a home win. We are at the moment somewhere in that bracket where I don't know if we have quite enough for me to be any more confident of a draw. I'm not saying it's impossible. We've gone there and we've won with probably worse teams, to be totally honest. Absolutely. I mean, we did with Conte a couple of years ago with maybe a team that didn't have so many injuries, but Eric Dyer and Ben Davis were starting and Lloris was in goal. So I can't rule it out. I just definitely don't expect it. I think the main difference is that when we have beaten them in recent times, it's been playing to their Achilles heel. We've been playing as a counter-attack, deep block, hitting it up and trying to catch them on the break, which we're capable of doing, but it's not really the way we play. Not, there's not going to be as much space as we need to normally beat them. But who knows? Who knows? Um, what I will say is this. If anyone out there is still doubting the size of Ange Postacoglu's balls, if he goes and plays that same lineup against Man City, then I think that will end all doubts. <laughs> I'm very interested to see if he does put out any kind of a lineup what do you think Dave if he goes to the next game against Man City and plays as attacking a team as we just saw against Villa obviously with the likely inclusion of Basuma somewhere in there are we going to lose 6-0 I mean it wouldn't surprise me if he kept the same formation uh, the same starter sorry but it also wouldn't surprise me if he swung the absolute opposite way and played the same three as he did against Wolves because you know that's, that's just you know, he gets paid the big bucks and I don't but you know, it's just a tough game, isn't it? But you know, you never know. Is there less pressure on the players now, though? Because I know, obviously, in normal circumstances, you lose three on the bounce. The pressure is on, right? But do you think now that those results have happened, and I think the majority of people aren't looking at Spurs thinking, "Oh, they're title challenges. This is a title clash against Man City." Does it take a bit of pressure off that game, or is it worse? I think it's up to the manager. It's the manager that, that sets the tone. You know, I'm going to bring it back to Leeds again. When we were going for the title back in 1992. They didn't talk about the league. They didn't talk about the title. They didn't talk about positions. And by the end of it, it was just a case of, I think the phrase that they uh, Wilkinson used was, trust your swing. Just, you know, I've trained you as much as I can. Just trust the way that you play it. Just to keep doing that. Should we say that now instead of trust the process? Well, trust, trust your swing, swing is arguably better. And certainly wasn't first coined in football terms by Eric Dyer. <laughs> but I think, um, look, it's ridiculous that you have to say it, but you do have to say it. It's a freebie. Do what you want with it. Your season won't be determined by what you do at the Etihad. No one's will, no, really. But I don't think it's unrealistic to say that we have what it takes to beat them. Because they've well, lost that's why I started this with you never know. to outstanding teams. Yeah, but it's more than you never know. You never know is Leicester winning the league. You never know is a giant killing in the cup where a team in League 2 wins against Premier League team. I don't think it would be, it would be an upset, but I don't think it would be an outright shock if we win this game. I think we've played well enough. And I think this Villa game is proof that even with what's left of our squad, if things go well for us and things click, I think we can give them a game. I, look, the smart money is we'll probably still lose. But I don't think it would be an absolute shocking headline if we somehow came away with something from this game. I had to burn this conversation, Dags, but I'd put more money on a Mourinho Tottenham beating Man City at the Etihad. Oh, I agree. I agree. And, and this, that's, that's this is, this is a long shot earlier. because of not only the fact that it's yeah. Man City, but also the fact that you will play the way that Andrew wants to play. And if you do that, mm. then the chances are that it's not going to be a particularly positive result for you guys. But that's not a bad thing because you have to trust the process. 
<laughs> so what's your team for City? Well, if you're Ange and you're going out there and you're trying to trying to inspire them, give them a team talk, pick the team. I know you really want to go out there and say, guys, just have fun out there. Let's just focus on next season. Who cares about this year? But what are you actually going to do if you want to win against City? What's your game plan if we're going to give us the best chance of getting something? Uh, I think it will be same team, Basuma for Benton Court, and I don't see any reason for anything else to massively change. Partly because we don't have the personnel to change it, partly because the only other alternative is to go back to what we did against Wolves. And maybe in theory yeah. that puts us in a better position to win, but isn't the whole point of this to continue to play out? I mean, we were all criticising the Wolves thing and saying that that was him abandoning his philosophy for the sake of one game that we lost anyway. So I don't know why we want to revert to yeah. that because yeah. it's more short-termism. It's trying to put out a team that can win on Saturday at the abandonment of a long-term philosophy. So if we go there and we get pumped, but we play our way, then as Anne says, we're just going to have to cop it. And that's, I keep saying it, we're just going to have to stomach it, unfortunately. But I don't think it'll be any kind of drastic changes. I think it'll be the one in, one out. Like I said, if Saar is potentially back, then you might see him in coming for somebody. Maybe he comes in for Lacelso yeah, yeah. because he's a bit more solid in midfield and Kulisevsky stays as the 10 or Kulisevsky moves out to the right or something like that. I don't really know. That's maybe the other only other kind of alternative, but I don't think you're going to see anything mm. massively dry. I mean, at least I hope not. I'd be more disappointed in a weird way that if we reverted to the Wolves type thing and kind of plucked a, a draw out of nothing, then like, isn't that why we were all brought into Ange in the first place? Because of how he is and because of how headstrong he is. Like we're all looking at it and going, this guy exactly. gets it. He's to dare us to do it. Attack relentlessly, you know, defending be damned, kamikaze football or whatever. I don't think we can now kind mm. of flip-flop when we're under a little bit of like, if we have hired a guy who is at the first sign of adversity, abandoning his principles, then we should just sack him. And I'm not actually suggesting we should sack him, but I'm saying <laughs> no, if, if no. at the first sign of trouble, not who he is. we're chucking everything yeah. out the window, then we probably hired the wrong guy. Totally agree. No, he made it very clear. He wasn't happy with how we were against Wolves. He's changed it. In his post-match interview of the Villa game, he was actually very complimentary. And he said some really good things. He said some of the football was as good as we played all year. He said, obviously, the result was disappointing, but any other day, we'd have won it comfortably. That, to me, says he's going to stick to his guns, no matter who the opponent is. And I expect we'll see a largely similar team. So let's see how that plays out. Um, as I said earlier, I won't be joining these guys to discuss that. So you will have Elio hosting next week. And depending on how a few things fall, we may even have a special guest thrown into the mix as well. So you've got that to look forward I feel like to. If there's a, I feel like if there's a few controversial moments, I feel like Elio shouldn't host because I think that stifles <laughs> that stifles his creativity somewhat. <laughs> the impartiality, right? Oh, I see. Now, I'm sure he can tee himself up. He'll just be like, so, Elio, that decision. Yes, thank you, Elio. Um, <laughs> no, it'll be fine. I have full faith in Elio's ability to take over the, the hosting mic. <laughs> the the game's gone when Elio asks Elio questions on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> game's gone. <laughs> Well, you have all that and more to look forward to next week as we, we I say we, uh, as these guys, Nelio, will be discussing the Man City game and looking ahead to uh, what comes next. Thanks for everyone who's listened so far in this one. If you get the chance, please follow us on Twitter at Plus Dave Podcast. And you know what? Send us an email. I'm going to put my out of office on, but in truth, my door is always open and you can always send me uh, an email and we'll, we'll read that out on an episode coming up. That is plusdavepodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from all of you as always. And I, for one, cannot wait to listen to the next episode that I will have no parts play in probably while I'm lying on a beach listening to these guys talk about Man City thrashing us 6-0 or us winning 1-0 it'll be one or the other I'm sure of it but we'll have to wait and see Where which one it is. so uh, I I'm going to Barbados oh, oh, um, okay. I've never been to the Caribbean so that should be interesting Sounds 
<laughs> yeah, it's just some little island. It was just, you know, a cheap deal, last minute thing. I'm trying to find if there are any places that would be recommended for showing the games because I'm going to have to try and find somewhere to watch it. But I haven't managed to track down the official Barbados Spurs supporter club yet. But, uh, you know what? I, should have che- I didn't check if we had any listeners. We've had listeners from so many countries. So I'd be shocked if we haven't had someone listen from Barbados. But uh, if we haven't, I will be sure to fix that next week. Brilliant. All right, guys. More than enough for this episode. But thank you both for joining. And I can't wait to listen to the episode next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you again soon. Stay classy, Spurs fans, and we'll catch you for the next one.